happened in the 90s. Matt was the fat kid, he was the flat kid. Life wasn't always great, but you know what was? The 90s. Happened in the 90s. Yeah! Just outside the city, the floodwaters are rising. These two reporters have a long night ahead of them, and bad coughs. The network man is taking Robitussin DM, while the local guy has discovered VIX-44. Compare them. VIX-44 feels more soothing and works longer between doses, up to eight hours, while Robitussin should be taken every four. So guess who's getting more cough medicine? And hours later, who's getting the story? Folks, we're safe. It's going to be a great day. Eight-hour VIX-44. Get the most from just one dose. I don't know if we've gone over this on the show before, and I, I kind of know what the answer is going to be. W- were you more of a Sega Genesis or a Super Nintendo kid? Well, <clears throat> what I got first, Steve, was a Sega Genesis. I had Nintendo whenever the new 16-bit games came out. Uh, I got Genesis first because I was super into Sonic the Hedgehog. So day one, I think is a gift for us moving. My birthday that I had, the first birthday I had in Ohio, Sega Genesis with Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Jurassic Park, the video game. Um, Loved it, had it for a while, but even though it was my first, I was a Nintendo boy. I moved over to Super Nintendo. They had too many good games. Turtles in Time, the one in Mario Brothers at that time. You know, I love Zelda. You can't play that on Genesis. So eventually, I had to go back to Nintendo. And I, if you just gun to my head, give me that Nintendo. Sega had exclusive games too. Uh, do you remember Pit Fighter? Oh yeah, that was a great arcade game too. That was one of those like first ones where they had like photorealistic like people, I guess, in it. Wasn't that the one? Um, somewhat, somewhat, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was uh, cutting edge for its time. Like the graphics, the thing, the thing with Sega in general, it, it's kind of like it, it's not Nintendo. Yeah. Also, I feel like sometimes they because some maybe I'm fucked up about this, but uh, I think Nintendo for a time they kind of like censored their games a little bit i think mortal kombat it didn't actually show blood it was like sand coming off the dudes or maybe it was like a setting you could put on but genesis had more adult games i remember like uh like remember sega cd when that came out Sega CD. yeah one of the first games that came out with that was kind of like this tawdry like adult i think it was called like night stalker or something but it, it had the chick from uh the Gary Coleman show. It had her, like the the girl from that. The Gary Coleman. Oh, uh, you remember? Yeah. She was Dana like Plato. Yeah, she had some like weird. I think she's rest in peace. But uh, yeah. she had some. She was like kind of getting into some adult shit, and this wasn't like you didn't see like boobies, but there was just like girls in like panties and stuff in it. You know, it was like an adult game. Totally remember that. Also, and, uh, Toe Jam and Earl. Sorry, that was a great Sega game. That, that was Sega. That was so good. And and so was 
Streets of Rage. I don't think that was Nintendo. Yeah, but I could get for any Streets of Rage, I can play like Battletoads or something. You know, there's games like that that are just like scrolling fight games. So you know, we can go tip. It wouldn't fuck. I wasn't fucking with Streets of Rage. Battletoads, Steve. Battletoads. Battletoads Double Dragon on top of that. And then just throw Turtles in Time on top because it's basically the same thing. You know? But Sega did have some good ones like that. They had that game Golden Axe, too. That was like one of the first games. That was a dope game. I feel like that was a Nick Arcade game, too, at one point. Oh, for sure. Remember Altered Beast, too? Where you turn? Alter, oh hell yeah! It was like Manimal, the video game. I fucks with some Alter Beast and Kid Chameleon. That one I do not remember. Kid Chameleon, I don't remember that. Yeah, you're a kid that can turn into a bunch of different things. Shocking. Remember Bonk? It was just a dude with a giant head. It was like me, <laughs> but it was like a caveman boy. That was Turbo Graphics, or was it both that and Sega? I think I was on Sega, if I'm not mistaken. I, re- I think I remember, because also Sega had those awesome boxes when they first came out. They had these, like, just like, almost like a library thing, you know? Really cool shit. Both of them were tight, though. We lived, I mean, they perfected video games. I think now they're just crazy, too. They're, they're, they're cool, but we lived in an cr- amazing time for video games. All the hits, man where all the ideas were being cultivated. If you ever tried one of those clear antiperspirants, you know there's something missing. It's missing from all the leading clears. It's strength. But now the strongest, dryness ingredients come in a form that works invisibly. New Secret Sheer Dry. It glides on sheer, but keeps me drier than the leading clear. For sheer protection, give me strength. Give me New Secret Sheer Dry. Strong enough for a man, but it's clearly for you. Well, hey, boys and girls, this is Steve G and Maggie with Happened in the 90s, a show where we talk about what happened in the 90s. So get out your magic school bus and your incubus, because <laughs> we're brothers, we're happy and we're singing and we're colored. Da-na-na-na. Give me a high five. Well, today, my friend, we're talking about all things January 11th in the 90s. Starting off in 1991, Lionheart premieres. An ex-French soldier begins participating in underground street fights in order to make money for his brother's family. Directed by Sheldon Lettich, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, Harrison Page, Deborah Renard, Lisa Pelican, Brian Thompson, Billy Blanks, Ashley Johnson. That's why this movie's famous. Billy Blanks is in it, Steve. Not just, we don't get just the muscles from Brussels. We get Tybo himself. The Tybo Pro. Um, I mean, this is just a quality Jean-Claude kicking ass movie, Steve. They get right to it, you know? Yeah, and as always, Jean-Claude is with the shits. And after watching this movie, man, you know, it's pretty much sealed it's cemented that arnold he's the goat man jean claude might be my my number two he might might have to be man i I just you know i I didn't live through the bruce lee era you know to me i don't think he made enough he was was a badass he's too short he did his thing 
yeah, it's like Notorious B.I.G. Two albums in your lifetime. I just that kind of like makes you fall in the in the rankings. Jean Claude, man, this is one of my favorite. You know, I mean, I gotta some... agree, dude. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I bet. I mean, the shit was that hot, man. And, and like Street Fighter, for what it's worth, he did his thing in that. I mean, you're gonna. I get why that movie's, you know, shitty. We grew up and like it was marketed to us, and I will always have like a weird place in my heart for it. Is it a quality movie? Not necessarily, but it's a he. He kills it. You know, he's not the reason it sucks. I wouldn't say he was the best guy to put, like for the part, given it's an American like, you know, dude, and he just can't pull off that accent. But you know, he's kicking ass, dude. I blame Balrog's fate. That haircut they gave Balrog. That that, yeah, yeah. And just having Joanna Man as DJ and that, just throwing out weird stereotypical Jamaican like one line, like how many jobs you got? Tree. He's just doing like shit from In Living Color. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good, but uh, it did have. There was a lot of good shit to talk about in that. Uh, but back to Lionheart and back to Jean Claude. This is like when they had him perfected. This is the best you're going to get. You know, this uh, Hard Target, I think, is one of those movies. Double Impact. Those ones where they were getting them before pre-Time Cop, Jean-Claude, Steve. Universal Soldier, if you remember that one as well. I totally Um, do. And a lot of people in the fan base consider this to be his best film, man. I like this one because it it's simple. They don't try to like me- mess with the story too much. Some guy gets killed in this weird like uh, underground fight to the death ring that's going on with these rich people. Uh, the rich people, there's like a lady, I believe, and this demonic looking dude that we were talking about before the show started that was always like an X-Files character or somebody that was like a heavy in a movie. Um, and Brian Thompson, he, yeah. he's fucking crazy looking. Look, you know, look up demonic looking dude. He'll show up. You know, it's like his face is boiling. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, That's perfect. That's exactly what happened to him. Like Jean Claude in true hero form, man. He he goes AWOL from the the French military. Uh, comes overseas, comes to the states because he finds out that his brother is is dying. And, you know, the, his family, his brother's family is in a lot of debt. They, they can't pay these bills. Um, and the brother eventually dies, uh, leaving the, the wife and the child. And the child is played by Ashley Johnson, uh, who is the, the little, little brother, uh, little sister in Growing Pains. She was like that new addition halfway through the series with the little curly oh, hair. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. She, she plays Jean-Claude's niece in this man. And, uh, you know, he makes his money kicking ass, which is what he's good at. And this movie reminded me of that game, Pit Fighter. It was like, uh, and he kept like fighting in these like more exotic looking like fights. The the scenery would change. Yeah. It was like very mortal, like the levels in Mortal Kombat and stuff, you know? And uh, I, he has like a... You know how Rocky had like his black trainer, that bald dude who was like super intense. There's like that in this where Lionheart or whatever his name is has like this dude who's like his ferries him into this underground fighting ring basically. 
And uh, I remember that guy making me laugh a lot too. He's very intense. Yeah, he he is a hustler. I, he he met him in the in the game, and um, he basically took him on as his manager of sorts. He's kind of like that guy from Rocky, a cross between that and uh, I don't know, probably Mickey too. Yeah, but he's he's intense. At one point, he's just like king of the jungle <laughs> he gets into it steve uh but you know jean claude gets it in the end and uh you know he i'm with you is he i like stallone over him still just because of like cobra when you go back into the 80s and stuff you know you can't discount that but he's up there and because of like the, ni- the 90s especially he is a he is a king of the '90s, Steve. He will Without he'll spin kick you, and he'll 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 do a nice dance too. You know Make that kickboxer shit. It uh, also in '91, not without my daughter, premieres in theaters. An American woman trapped in Islamic Iran by her brutal husband must find a way to escape with her daughter. Directed by Brian Gilbert, starring Sally Field, Alfred Molina, Sheila Rosenthal, and Roshan Seth. Based on a true story. It is. Yep. This movie's crazy. And it makes me scared of Alfred Molina because he's intense in this. Yeah, and it no, it it makes me want to put hands on Alfred Molina because he played this role so well. Uh he played it so well actually that people came up to him and punched him in the face <laughs> in real life because he he owned that role. Because Dude, how do you how dare you do Forrest Gump's mama like this? This is the flying nun. Come on now. Sweet old Sally Field. I mean, basically what happens in this is he's from Iran and he's married yeah. to Sally Field and you know in the beginning of this. Sweet guy, nice guy, got a daughter. He's like, hey, I want to take you over to Iran, take you over and see where I'm from. They get over there and he's like, We're not going back. You're living here now put on all the here's this shit and he starts beating on her. i mean it, it gets crazy she's trying to escape uh, you know iran there's no way to really do that it's and melina's there and you know imparting sharia law on this bitch just fucking slapping her around you know telling her not to talk to dudes and stuff it's crazy it really gives you insight on the you know their culture out there man it's like i i feel bad for the women out there um i i just you know he she ends up like befriending a, a fellow american woman and she was kind of in the same situation but because of their laws and you know just the misogyn the misogyny out there you know yeah. they're protected by that stuff like you know the alfred molina beats sally field in front of his family and and the women in the family are like oh yeah, yeah. how dare her how dare her yeah yeah she was well, asking then, for it and she's like telling him i think she goes to like the authorities or maybe it's like the embassy i think at some point and they're yeah. like well you're basically his property here it's like some shit like that you know when i don't know how accurate it is but in this movie it's crazy because she just went over on vacation you know, it's like, oh, come over and yeah. see mom and dad. You know, let let me let you meet the family, and it's all gravy when she gets over, and they're like welcoming and stuff. And then it's like, fucking day ten, he's like, get in here and fucking <laughs> shut the fuck up. So yeah, Alfred Molina is on sight, motherfucker. Damn, dude, but, uh, I didn't know he was getting popped in the street. I mean, he killed it in this movie. It does piss you the fuck off because he is mean as fuck. 
Infuriation, but uh, also in 91, Ski School premieres. It's preps versus party animals when rival ski schools compete. With their reputation and jobs at stake, the rabble-rousers of Section 8 hit the slopes. Directed by Damian Lee, starring Dean Cameron, Tom Bresnahan, Stuart Fratkin, Darryl Yeah, it doesn't matter. Never heard of these people and no. never again, but... Uh, <laughs> well, one will pop up on the, an episode of It's Always Sunny where I think that they basically just spoofed this whole movie. <laughs> They did. They did. Yeah. And it's got a cult following, which is why it would be spoofed and it's always sunny, man. Um, you get your fair share of titties. And, uh, you know, what, what I also like, uh, it features some songs from a band named Lock Up. And that band Lock Up uh, features a young guitarist by the name of Tommy Morella, uh, one of the baddest Damn, fucking okay. men what? of all time. Yes. This is, this <laughs> no. That was his original group, uh, Lock Up. This is this predates Rage Against the Machine, obviously. But yeah. Ski school, dude. I mean, it couldn't get more USA up all night, Steve. This is this is it, what this is what it was made for. The trailer yeah. you watch for this is just women about to take their top off about three quarters of the trailer. And a lot of like the the main character that's like the scruffy like slope dog he's like take your tops off a lot of that shit dude i love it i'm here for it and they do it it's it's gratuitous <laughs> to it, matthew they do it. oh yeah of course they do dude ski fucking school of course they're gonna do that shit and and i love the fashion choices very 90s chic of these women in the, uh, nothing underneath those winter jackets but hey we're here for that too Dude, when you're on the slope, Steve, you don't know what's gonna happen. You gotta be ready for anything. Nice dicking. Skiing. Go <laughs> snowboard. Take it off. Get right to it. <laughs> Snow bunny. I just ah. didn't realize that the guy in It's Always Sunny, like the guy that they meet on the slopes, is the dude from this movie. It's that dude. What else Say, is he doing? Saying the same exact, I, and that makes that episode so much better because it's like he's been there that long that he's just fucked up as hell, dude. I love that. But uh, also in 91, Warlock, more like Borlock premieres. <laughs> <laughs> A 17th century witch hunter follows an evil being into the 20th century, where a young woman assists him into the capture of the wicked entity. Directed by Steve Miner, starring Julian Sands, Laurie Singer, and Richard E. Grant. And I'm assuming Julian Sands is the the aforementioned warlock, correct? He is the warlock. Yeah. And you know, I, th throughout this movie, man, I, you know, I was I was losing interest less and less. <laughs> And, you know, to the point where I was starting to root for Julian Sands. Be, do more wicked shit. And plus, he looked cooler. He looked cooler than the than the protagonist. He he's looked like us. son, Steve. Of course he's fucking looks cool. But he looks like he has, a, like, a lot of roofies also. You know? Like, when you look, get a closer look, right there he looks fine. It's like, is that Johnny Cash's fucking manager or what? What's going on here? But then he starts to... That looks cool, though. Some of the magic they pull off, it looks cool. But this, this is a dud of a movie. But they made, like, I think multiples of Warlock. They made multiple. Like, where did y'all get the money for this? Because this one didn't even break budget. 
Like you usually make a sequel when it's successful and it makes more than the budget. Like they lost money on this, but it, it had a cult following. I don't know any of those people part of that cult following, but yeah. R.I.P. Julian Sands. He's he's not with us anymore, by the way. I think he they made multiple because he's probably is cool. He looks cool in a weird way. He, like, cool. he looks like a scumbag cool dude that would be just be he's like a charming dude, you know? Maybe he'll take your wife. Maybe he'll enslave humanity as a warlock. I don't know, but looks damn good in a black button-down shirt, dude. Cast a spell on one of my exes. I'd appreciate that. But uh, in 1993, January 11th, Monday Night Raw premieres on USA. Just one week after uh, Primetime Wrestling aired its final episode you know that that vince he does he doesn't skip a beat we can't take a week off get out there i love it though when it what 93 93. still going strong correct i mean this is still a fucking thing it ain't stopped 31 seasons as of note, as of today, 1,597 episodes, the, the longest running weekly show in, in TV history. Uh, did you know that, well, let me ask you this. Do you know what the first match was ever in Monday Night Raw? No, smaller than that. Okay. Way smaller. Superfly Jimmy Snooker? Uh, skin tone wise, you're getting there. Okay. <laughs> Just give me who was it? I was trying, but you know, I got to go back. It's, it's the Birdman. What? Coco, Coco Beware. That makes sense. Coco. That makes sense. Coco Beware versus Yokozuna. And of course, it was a squash. Yokozuna flatlined him. Gave him the bunzai drop, and I think that match only lasted like no more than five minutes. But the, hey, he he has that honor of saying I was in the very first match of Monday Night Raw. I love that. One of the most vibrant wrestlers of all time, and also probably the budget to have all those birds. Fucking, <laughs> those were he was like Jake the Snake, where he was like getting birds in the town, right, Steve? I, I don't know about him and Frankie. Uh, Frank? He, he might have taken. Yeah, that was the name of Frank of the bird, the cacao. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I know Jake. He he had to swap snakes from time to time, but uh, I don't know birds. Do they live long lives? They live long lives. But I don't no. think you should be traveling. Like I don't know if you can. Well, fuck it. Coco, beware. Look at him. Number one on that list. I love that. And, uh, it also features Steiner Brothers versus the Executioners, Shawn Michaels versus Max Moon, and uh, the main event in the first Monday Night Raw was The Undertaker versus Damian Demento. That's a name from the past. Damian Demento. Whoa. Yeah. And you know, this setup—it it just takes you back, man, because it was like this for years it was like in a ballroom it kind of went ecw with it for like the first two years yeah. before they they hit the road and they started traveling and I, I think wcw they they had something to do with that possibly but um 
doing the commentary in this first uh, Monday Night Raw was Macho Man, Vince McMahon, and a comedian named Rob Bartlett, who I've totally forgot. Um, yeah, he was a part of Don Imus. Uh, he was a contributor to that radio show. And, you know, if you go to his wiki, he's like apparently a known comedian. Like he he's rubbed elbows with the guys that we know and, and are fans of. Oh, damn, I didn't. I mean, weird combo there, and also Macho Man. That's intense. Yeah, you could throw, <laughs> throw him in anything. <laughs> Macho, what do you think of Damian Demento? Fucking, <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> You know, I guess Rob Bartlett, his, his like purpose was to be like the Bobby Heenan guy, you know, throwing in wisecracks from here and there because Yokozuna comes out. He's like, huh, he's got an ass like an amphitheater. And Vince McMahon says, here on Raw, it's totally uncooked. <laughs> like, when did that's... they go to like Lawler and uh, JR? Yeah, uh, that didn't come about until I want to say mid to late nineties, man. Okay. You know, How long did they work with this one? Like what what was the transition? Who who was next? They did a couple of transitions, um, obviously throughout the show, but like Gorilla would eventually come back. I think Heenan might come back for a episode or two. And in this one, he uh he's trying to get into the building. So it, they're letting him know his services are no longer needed. So at one point he dresses in drag to try to get in the building. And they're like, dude, Sean Mooney's like outside. Like, dude, it's Heenan. Like, dude, what are you doing? They don't want you here. I, I just remember the last time we saw Heenan in WWF was when he got thrown out by Gorilla Monsoon on Monday Night Raw. It, it wasn't this one, obviously, but it was around this time in 93. You know, that was like his last hurrah before he went to WCW. But, I don't like that they made him dress in drag right before he stopped doing this. It's, it's a it's, nice job, Vince. Nice. Vince, yeah, he wants to demean you and demoralize you, be, you know, before he lets you go. But uh, in 1995, the Wayans Brothers debuts on the WB with their episode Goop Here It Is. Sean's new hair care product makes a big impression during a live commercial couple of heavy hitters in this episode too right on episode one they get two great cameos yeah man um and you know they have the code opens on this show they're fighting over the last slice of pizza until marlon sneezes on it and he asks him you want to split it and then they kick into that classic theme song if you watch it on max the theme song it's not the original one like it, it goes from that we're brothers and then it stops and then it, like the original one would go to a tribe called quest song electric relaxation and that wasn't how it was originally on the on the show on, on the on max like what you hear on max is not the original oh i got you yeah. i got you and another time where they just keep changing shit i don't like that and yeah, we started off with a uh, Lisa, who's always been fine. She's uh, Marlon's girlfriend, and she's ordering two tubes of plum lipstick, ten dollars for lipstick that costs forty cents. That's what Sean says. And you know, he's like, "Man, I, I need to get in on this infomercial business. I want to sell something." Don't even have a product. I like that mentality, though. All I need is an infomercial. You gotta have a product too, bud. It's two things. 
Leela Rashawn, that's her name. Um, so they're discussing that yeah. and getting to business, honestly. They start making out. Then Marlon busts in, just in tears, Steve. Um, he went out with his boys. They got in. Then he gets stopped by the bouncer, and he's not allowed in, Steve. Why? Because the bouncer doesn't like his hair. He had a jacked up cut. And so, like, Lisa starts laughing at him, and Marlon says, at least my hair is real. And then that sets up a wildfire. You don't say that to a black woman. Yeah, that's, no. You got to get ask killed. For it. You got to get or cut. Pores or something else. I forget what the other thing was. Um, Marlon is taken back into the back by Sean, Lisa. She goes ahead and orders a couple of them lipsticks while the boys are out. Oh, like oh that. Sean's car. That's theft, Lisa. That's dishonesty. And now we're at the diner. We're introduced to Pops for the first time on the show. And, you know, he's trying to talk Pops into this infomercial scheme. All he needs is $600. And I can get on public access. You know, that, that same channel that shows some of them shows that you like. Oh, <laughs> let me see. <laughs> that the one that he mentions too was a real show I think on the East Coast that showed like boobies on it public access. I forget nice. what it's called. A lot of people in New York mention it. I had a buddy that lived in Philly that used to I forget what its name. It's the name of Robin Bird. That's what it was called. Robin. <clears throat> I'm gonna have to yeah. keep that. Yeah, so <laughs> but I just like that he wants this info. It's an infomercial. He's paying six hundred dollars for an infomercial, pitching it to Pops. You know, still no product. And Pops really isn't feeling it. But then Marlon again comes in interrupting. But this time it's because this motherfucker comes in just looking like James Brown on his best day. Silky smooth. He got that Cat Williams special. And this time, yeah, he's telling the good news, man. You can't believe it. I got in the club. I was cashing checks, catching cabs. Shit, I feel like a white dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know... Mar, he's like, what? What is going on here? And Mar, they they go into what Marlon invented, and he's like, look, man, this shit's so good. It even hooked my boys up. You go over to his boys. His one dude looks crazy as shit. Yeah, I love that. He's got his he's got his arm around her, <laughs> but the hair is silky, Steve. It's like Soul Glow three thousand, looking and like two macarones. <laughs> <laughs> I love John Witherspoon, the rest in peace. Um, and this is like a million dollar idea, Steve. This is a product. I don't know how they're going to replicate it because he just like Marlon made this product out of some shit he found under the cabinet. You know, they don't tell you what it is, but, um, you know, now they got to figure out a name. They're, they're that far into it. Like they've already solved They're They're on the hair shit. Now they're like, what's the name? Main and tail hair. already taken. Hair, balls, hair, Rhea Tubbin, hair, Maphrodite. Somehow. Who has the idea, though? I forget who had it. I believe it was Marlon. Is that it? Okay, yeah. Well, he's the genius who created it. Why not? He's my favorite of the Wayans. Goop, here it is. Goop, here it is. For the people who didn't like experience this portion of the decade this totally was a thing 
You know, it, it, you could just pop that out at a basketball game, football game, in mid-conversation. Whoop, there it is. Start doing the butterfly, the tootsie roll. Hammer, dude. Hammer, 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 hammer. I mean, that's like one of the original jock jams, Steve. Whoop, there it is. Hammer was fucking killing it back then. <laughs> anyway, Goop, here it is. I'd buy it simply for the name. Get a good label on that, I'm in. So, yeah, I couldn't even use it, but shit. I'll take it. I'll take one. And so now they need a celebrity. They got the first part of the process done. Like, how can we sell this? We, we need a, a famous spokesperson to help pitch this product. And so they're back at the crib, and Marlon comes in with the guy with the bag over his head pulls the bag off and it's none other than Garrett Morris, the legend. I thought that was Ben Vereen, Steve. <laughs> no, but there, I mean, this dude kidnapped, a, I like how, first of all, how'd you know Garrett, where Garrett Morris was? Secondly, kidnapped the dude. Third, when you hear how he did it, he slammed this bag on dudes and just like drug him down the street by his feet. So, Horrible. I mean, who like is no one gonna stop this guy? This is crazy. I, I like how when he sees Lisa's fine ass, he was like, "I don't do pornos anymore." <laughs> uh, he's got integrity, Steve. Because also when they're like, "Actually, dude, we want you to do this commercial," because you know we need you. We need this. We need your cachet. And he's like, "I don't do commercials. I have integrity. I'm Garrett Morris." Stand. One of the original right. cast members. Exactly. Um, but does he leave? Yeah, he leaves. And so actually they, they give him the boot. Yeah. Yeah, they, they boot him out of there. So they were like, so like, do we go with the other person? We have to. Come on out. And it's none other than Gary Coleman. I thought that was Emmanuel Lewis. <laughs> Yeah, so who Lisa thought it was, and she almost gets her, her ass whooped by dude. He's like, man, fuck you. He's sensitive. That motherfucker stole my shit. But they just had Gary Coleman in the back, like, I guess hanging out in the bedroom, you know, just in case, in case Garrett said no. They're like, we got to keep somebody here. So he's the Playing smallest. some video games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's fucked up when they were like, so your parents are going to get 90%, right? You know what? No, I cut them down to 85. I mean, damn. That's so. Damn. He didn't look happy about that line, but, he, you know, he took all the shit. <laughs> but Gary's in. I mean, in the 90s, early 90s, Steve, this is still a hot get. You know, I mean, maybe he wasn't yeah. working, but I know what you're talking about, Willis. It's never going to die, you know? It's just like, did I do that? It predates. It, it it walks. So, did I do that? Can runs, dude. Totally. And we're on set now, and everybody's got a perm. Even Gary Coleman. Sean's got his. Marlon's got his. They look like the Jackson Five out there. And and the other guy, the the guy that plays the producer, he's one of those '90s. I I know the face, but don't know the name. Um, I I like instantly recognize him as Dead Plumber from first season of Martin. Yes. He was always he was also on Frasier, I know that, but he was always this guy. Yep. Like just a scumbag like worker of some kind. But he's great in it. <clears throat> and they're going over line reads. Uh, you know, they're trying to get them to like adjust lighting and the the guy's like 
I'm gonna adjust the lighting. Again, again, he he loses it when they ask for that. But they are under the impression, you know, like, you know, we paid for this. This is like TV. So like, if you fuck the lineup, it's all good. You know, it's cool. We'll reshoot. But then the guy's like, you paid six hundred dollars. This is live, bud. Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. There ain't no fucking reshoot. This is it's fucking Sid vicious, Steve. It's like Psycho Sid. Hell yeah, we're live, bud. And and, you know, now the, the show starts. And so they, they go through their testimonials. They're showing all of these different scenarios of how it worked. And, you know, it's funny because Pops is the door guy. And he's wearing this, like, puffed up football jersey. You can't come in a club because of your funked up hair. And, <laughs> and, and Marlon comes through looking like Captain Pimp. And instantly he's lit in. Captain Pimp. Yeah, dude. But the hair's luscious. All of, I mean, I gotta say, Gary Coleman looks like goddamn. He looks like James Brown's mini me. Honestly, he looks fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, I do like the dramatizations. All of them are fucking hilarious. <laughs> Sean looks fucking stupid as shit. Um, but you know, they had to apply additional goop to their hair because of the lighting and whatnot. And as they're going through this infomercial and as they're getting to the sales pitch, Steve, 60 bucks for a tub of this shit, right? Gary trying to get him a little uh, heads up. He's like, hey, guys, isn't there anything you can do for the audience here just today? And they give that audience a discount. Fifty nine ninety nine, Steve. They give him a cent. You get that cent off. Slash that. Yeah. And uh, man, this goop here it is. It actually got him roles. Before, he couldn't get a job. Now he's the star of his own motion picture. The man with the tiny gun. Coleman. Gary Coleman. I like he shoots the gun and the chicks off camera's like, ow, my ankle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, they're doing this. And right as people are about to start paying the money up, Gary starts <laughs> smoking like a damn pork butt, Steve. He's fucking, the shit's going bad. The light's making his hair go crazy. And they're trying to put it out like in a calm fashion, but still like make the sale. And it just, it's not going to work out. Because <laughs> Gary's like, Does somebody smell bacon? Or, like, what is that? Marlon, what did you put in Goop Here It Is? Uh, Vaseline, bacon fat, and Drano. Drano? <laughs> it has lye in it. Uh, so as they get, get... I mean, Gary's like... You know how dogs butt scooch? He's doing that with his yeah. face. He's trying to put this shit out. Like, stop, drop, and roll on his face. Uh, they get him out. Like, they smolder him. And then they start fucking going up. Sean and Marlon. And it's a whole thing, Steve. I don't, goop hair it is. It was a great dream. But it just wasn't meant to be, Steve. There it was. And, you know, now we're back at the diner and both Sean and Marlon look like Kodak Whack. And I think Lisa <laughs> and Lisa says, I thought you killed Gary Coleman. No, I was just trying to put the fire out. Yeah, but you didn't have to stomp on him. <laughs> and Pops comes in. I mean, he's out 600 bones, Steve. He put the he put the money up for this, so he's like, "You got to get back to work." There's... Actually, five hundred and forty. Oh see... yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. They did make a sale. <laughs> like, who the hell Who's bought stu- this shit? <laughs> Garrett Morris comes in looking pissed. 
this is another funny thing. Obviously, that bat was like fake as hell. Yeah, I'm fucking Marlins. It's all bunched up and shit. Like the braids were so fake. It's just, like that stuff. I laugh at dumb things. <clears throat> yeah, but I mean, I love that. What a great first episode. What a stupid, hilarious first episode. And then also, we do get a after credits thing where <laughs> Gary's accepting a, an award for Richard Pryor the day my crack pipe exploded. The biopic oh. he just started, so. <laughs> oh, so bad. I love it, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Dude. What a great show. R.I.P. R.I.P. John Witherspoon and Gary Coleman. Yeah, it was great, bro. And, Damn, uh, is Garrett Morris still alive, Steve? Garrett Morris is alive. He's, he's still with us, man. Hell yes. Hell yes, Stan. Yeah. Hell yeah. All that scheming keeps you alive, Steve. For some strange reason, I had sex with his wife. <laughs> but uh, also in 1995, Higher Learning premieres. It's uh, directed by John Singleton, starring Jennifer Connelly, Ice Cube, Mike Tomlin, uh, sorry, Omar Epps, Michael Rappaport, Christy Swanson, Lawrence Fishburne, Busta Rhymes, Regina King, Tyra Banks, Cole Hauser, and Adam Goldberg. Star-studded cast, man. Yeah, intense, very intense. <clears throat> Michael Rappaport goes from nerdy college kid to white supremacist assassin in literally a few days in this movie. I mean, it it goes crazy. It's, it's the same thing with Alfred Molina in his role in uh, Without My Not Without My Daughter. It's like it's so convincing, and it pisses you off, but at the same time, from a artistic critique, dude, you did that well. That like, if I saw you, I would really want to like savagely beat you. Yeah. But it's not that what yeah your, your character Cole Hauser too the I, the whole white supremacist gang is comically like insane the, these aren't college kids one of them is this huge Jack guy who I think was honestly this is a weird call out but I think he was in any given Sunday the football movie the program he was probably in both he was in the program it's that guy <laughs> he though. was dude that you're right he yeah. was in the program but. He gets beat up by a fat black dude in like this weird race war, like between, you know, between the black and yeah. white dudes. And it's hilarious because he's the guy where it's like, he's going to kill everyone. He immediately yeah. gets socked in the face by a fucking like, just a, just a fat nerdy dude. It was hilarious. Just, yeah. Who's not as ripped as he is, man. And no, like, not at all. Cole Hauser's very good in this too. This whole movie is great. Lawrence Fishburne's great in it. But it's like super, like, it's almost like, not comically, but it's just like so dramatic. There's a lot of like slow motion shit. I mean, the bust, the Busta Rhymes in that fight I'm talking about, to initiate the fight, he like walks out and is just like, ah! starts, like, it's very, it's just strange. It's But it's a good movie. I'm not selling it well, but. And these are like future like all stars in their like early days of acting without, you know, despite, you know, Lawrence Fishburne being in there, you know, he was already established, you know, Ice Cube, he didn't have too many under his belt yet. Same thing with Buster Rhymes, uh, Omar Epps, um, Tyra Banks. I believe this was her first movie. And this she was the time. I forgot about yeah. that. Well, she was the one that was killed by Remy, by M Michael Rappaport's character. And that infuriates Omar Epps to the point where he tracks him down and like the cops see him like beating up Remy and like they'd start attacking him. Yeah. And like, I, 
you know, I, I remember my mom took me, my friend and his older brother to see this on Martin Luther King Day in sixth grade. And when Michael Rappaport finally offs himself, I remember there being an like ovation. Like people actually clapped when that happened. Um, so with that said, man, Michael Rappaport, you did that role. It's not the best role, but he's good at playing a racist. I'll tell you that. He really is. He can knock that shit out of him. Also in uh, Bamboozled, I mean, yeah. the race, he's great, you know, in all shapes and colors. He's great at doing a racist dude. So, but this movie, it's to me like, I don't know, of John Singleton's, there's a lot of, he has a nice cattle, rest in peace also, sadly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, it's, it is in his tone, but I feel like it's like, like the acting in it, like the, the way it's like a dramatic, it's almost like stage acting, you know, it's like over the top in a way. Well, I, I found it comical that most of the white supremacists were played by Jewish guys. Yeah. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. But I'm telling you, watch the fight, and when you see, like, this one white supremacist who is just this jacked, like, fucking brick shithouse of a dude, he takes a punch to a guy who looks like me when I was in college, but black. Just a fat dude. Just as you know, it might be the guy behind Steve. I don't think it is. It is. See, it, I think it... Maybe it is, but the guy looks super nerdy, and it's just like, man, the ball, they, I guess it was adrenaline, but I, that's not the guy I would pick, even as the big dude in the group. I, I'd like veer towards Cole Hauser or somebody else, you know? But fuck it. He throws hands, Steve, and he beats the shit out of that dude twice, because he throws him into a fucking, he, he kicks his ass into a soda machine, too, and knocks his ass out. The guy just gets brutalized. Rightfully so. But that's hilarious you went and like that reaction in the theater. Because I think that's probably universal. It probably happened in every theater. Because he does play like, he's not even the leader of the group. He's just a guy who gets brainwashed, but the, he goes so evil with it. It's fucking nuts. He wanted to earn his stripes, man. Raps, dude. Playing racist since the early 90s. It is what it is. It is what it is, man. But uh, also in 1995, not only did Wayne's Brothers premiere on the WB, the WB premiered January 11, 1995. Uh, it was a joint venture between Warner Brothers Television and Tribune Broadcasting. And Wayne's Brothers, that was a part of their lineup, and as well as a, a show called Unhappily Ever After and a movie or a show called Muscle. That one I don't Muscle. remember. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember that. Unhappily Ever After was... Uh... Was there like a really sexy like blonde chick in that, or am I thinking of a different thing? It was a sexy redhead in that name named Nikki Cox. Nikki Cox. Yeah. Okay, maybe I'm just not. Yeah. Maybe I got the hair color wrong, but yeah, Nikki Cox, who I think married Bobcat Goldthwait for a while, which was very cool. Totally did for him. Uh, <sighs> and I think they met on this show, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was created by the same guy who came up with Married with Children, as you would guess, Ron Leavitt, and uh -huh. they, that's. The WB guys, they approached Ron Leavitt to say, hey, man, uh, we're starting off this new channel. Can you come up with a show and have that be our staple? Kind of like how you did with Married with Children and Fox and Unhappily Ever After is what they came up with, man. It kind of follows the same format as far as like, you know, uh, the husband and wife can't stand each other. They're actually getting divorced in the first episode. Um, has a hot daughter played by Nikki Cox. The uh, son, he's kind of like the Bud Bundy uh, sex hound, but he's like short and, you know, can't get laid. 
and but the the spin on this they have this like little cum doll uh rag doll and it talks and the voice is bobcat goldweight and there's also a third son on this uh, like a, a, a little brother little little brother i was i remember the puppet i don't know if i would have said cum doll but uh you know i get where you're going it looks like a mop that talks in bobcat goldsways it's maybe a dog or a rat i don't know just yeah, yeah it's just been sitting in the attic i'm sure it's got some stains if you put on a blue light i mean somebody was busting on it maybe podcast uh, but i gotta say if i'm going comments. wb shows off on, on the premiere the waynes brothers fucking kick this shit kick the hell out of this it was way better Agreed, man. In a, but in 1997, Duckman is airing season four, episode two, Coolio Runnings. When Duckman makes an expensive bet hinging on Ajax performing well during an athletic competition, he finds that he has no athletic skills and ends up adopting a fellow student in better physical shape, popular rapper Coolio. I love this. What a weird thing. <laughs> what a weird episode of television. But Duckman, we've covered it. It's weird. USA cartoon. Um, Jason Alexander killing it. Who is the voice of Ajax, Steve? That is Dweezil Zappa. That's Frank Zappa's son. Okay. Yeah. Loser. He's kind of like the family guy. What's what's the son? Chris? Yeah, he's like Chris and family guy. He's just like the bumbling tubby kid. But, uh... We start this episode off uh, in Duckman's office. I think Corn Fed's there doing his actual job, Steve. Doing some detective work, you know, doing some shit. And uh, he's actually trying to do the Duckman's taxes, too, or somebody. Not Corn Fed, but Duckman has, like, two secretaries that are, like, (laughs) gummy bears. I don't know what the fuck they are. They have little, yeah, stuffed doll teddy bears. <clears throat> they're trying to do his taxes and you know you got to keep receipts he kept one steve but they want to know if they need to fax it. and he's like yeah my, instead of that let me fax you and he faxes them in there and says, faxes them to the irs office who puts them through a shredder um but i don't know if it's in the office but we find out the Duckman's son ajax He's just unhappy that, you know, his dad's never around. He's always busy. What you think, detecting, but no, you know, he's jacking off, doing whatever Duckman does on a daily basis, you know? Being Dead not so dad. great at his job, pretty much. Uh, Bernice just throws the son in there. And Ajax says he needs his dad to attend the father-son games. But Duckman says, you know, me and Cornfed, we have a special case that we need to wrap up. And Cornfed's just like, man, get your ass out of here. I don't think so, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we cut to Duckman's, I think, because eventually Duckman's like, all right, fuck it, whatever. I'm giving you an hour. Go back to his place, or Bernice's place, actually, whoever it is. I don't know whose it is. Um, and Ben Stein's voicing the character of his neighbor who i think his name is ben stein dr Uh, ben stein yeah and he has a son i forget what the son's name is but they're like the the quinn they're like the flanders steve 
it's all it's all beautiful they're beautiful family they're getting ready for these games and they're like you know they're just doing their thing and Duckman basically just kind of gets in his feels like jealous that they are like such a good family and like initiates a fight where at the end of it he's like oh you think you're gonna beat us in this game well hell no you're not and he places a bet on it and that the Mr. Stein's like I don't I, like I'm just trying to do this with my son like I'm not gonna it's fine you know whatever dude he doesn't want any smoke and he keeps just talking up the bet all right fine two hundred dollars no I like I don't know what you're trying to do all right five hundred you know what five fifty <laughs> I love that dude. What a, this is such a weird fucking show it really is it's such a like bizarre idea for a show and it's perfect for a Jason Alexander vehicle. Yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. A neurotic like, scumbag <laughs> detective. I love that. Like, I don't think any other person could have done it as well. But uh, he finally asked Ajax, hey, son, do, do you have any athletic ability? It's like, sometimes late at night, I smell my own intestines. Is that an event? No, it's an exhibition. <laughs> yeah, Ajax is really... He's... Somebody was smoking while he was <laughs> while they were pregnant, um, but so you know, Duckman's not feeling it. Uh, you know, he's got this bet, but it's like I don't know. I might be on a got a losing horse in this race. I don't know. His fucking jeans are all fucked up. It's a put. Cut to fucking school. Ajax is at school, sitting down. And who would sit next to the man but Coolio himself, Steve? And I love that Ajax just looks over. He's like, you're a little old for this class. Are you stupid or something? (laughs) (laughs) And Coolio, I love Coolio's energy too. He's like, ah, no, I actually, no, I'm not stupid. Got a couple of platinum uh, songs. Uh, I'm just here because, you know... I never got my diploma, so I got a Billy Madison this shit, and I'm Coolio. So, <laughs> what's up? And uh, so we later find out that he doesn't have his diploma because he lost it. His family moved a lot, so that's why he's going back to school again. <laughs> and by the way, when's recess? <laughs> so, so they actually have a recess in this high school. And- and he's like, you got to cancel the concert tonight. I got homework. <laughs> he's really fucking, he's in it, Steve. He's in it to win it. And Ajax is there for him because, you know, he's been in this class for three years. So he can give him all the, you know, all the ups, all the downs. He's going to give him the low downs, Steve. Just don't cheat off his test. Don't do that. And, and him and Ajax, they're, they're on the teeter-totter. And there's this girl that's about to get hit by a truck. And Coolio hits the dash like Eddie George in this motherfucker. And he saves the little girl like right at the last second. And Duckman sees this. He's like, man, I wonder if he can run like that all the time in the gunny sack. That three-legged race, that speed, those gams. Um, So you see that as a normal person, you'd be like, man, that guy's fast. Duckman... He's got money riding on these games. So he goes straight from the, the school to what I assume is an adoption agency to just inquire what the logistics of adopting a full-grown adult are. Who, to add a little like spice to it, 
his parents are still alive. So there might be a little technicality there, but he just wants to see how to adopt Julio, basically. And he was willing to tweak that little technicality. They kick him out, and now he's crying on the curb. And Julio sees this, starts talking to him, and then, you know, he's like, hey, you're Ajax's dad. Man, you must be a good father. Because Ajax seemed like a good dude, man. He's like, well, you know what? I picnic games are three days away and I have this son with motor skills of a mummy uh, the psychiatrist is always following me around laughing uh, I can't hey man and he's trying to get sympathy points and he gets them apparently he talks Coolio into signing this waiver that was the thing the lady at the adoption agency said yeah uh, as long as you can get the person to sign this waiver I guess you can do it yeah that's all it is and he's like when he's with Coolio he's like just like so much to be a dad and have this kid with special needs and it's just like you know if you would just sign this form it would really help me out and coolio you know he needs to worry about this this might fuck him up in the future look at what you're signing but he does sign the form steve so technically Duckman now has another kid who is a multi-platinum award-winning artist so um he takes him home and you know, Bernice always usually salty when they come in and she sees Coolio. She's like, oh my God, it's my favorite. It's my love. It's my life. Bernice just melts, Steve. Yeah, she's even wearing a Coolio nightgown and she jumps all over his bones. They're at the dinner table and he's scraping off, Doug Man's scraping off everybody's plate and giving it to Coolio so he can have strength for tomorrow's training. And Ajax says, oh, why would he need strength if we're the ones training? It's like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even, but, you know, Coolio might see that Duckman's a bad guy, but he can't really see anything because Bernice is basically just like in his face. Like, you know, you could sleep in my bed. Like, if you want, there's a little spot there if you want. So Coolio's... He might get raped tonight, Steve. We don't know. There might be a duck raping that's about to happen, but he's a good guy. He's having some fucking some food with the ducks, you know? <laughs> Look, man, not so much a great guy because he finally comes clean and tells Ajax, you know what? I I've decided to choose Coolio. You know, I was going to lie to you, but I feel like that would ruin our friendship. So aren't you glad I told you the truth? <laughs> no, I, I want to go to the father-son games. And Coolio sees this, and he's feeling a certain way. So he runs away from the Duckman home. Gone, Steve. Duckman does what he does best. Blew the shit up. Ajax is pissed. Coolio, he's gone. You know, God knows where he's at. And then we cut to the next morning. Um, oh, that's how he escapes. Because he actually stays the night, Steve. He's the son. But when they wake up in the morning, Coolio pulled like an Alcatraz, put like a dummy in bed. So Duckman thought he was there. He's gone. You know, he's back to the mansion, Steve. It looked like a potato with like dreads, with like some rope. faux dreads, <laughs> like rope coming out of them. And so Duckman, he does the unnecessary per use, and he's trying to find all the possible places Coolio could be. So the fool looks into the mailbox, and then he checks in the trash can, and then Cordette finally says, 
uh, why don't we just go to Coolio's house? Oh yeah, go to his mansion? Right, go to his mansion. Yeah, cause he would be there. Yeah, and, and like we totally wouldn't have to do these things that would waste our time. Let's go to his mansion. <laughs> Look, I guess we should ring on his doorbell. He's gonna answer the door too. And he rings the doorbell at Coolio's mansion and Coolio answers the door. He's like, oh, hey fellas, what's up? I'm a little lunch. <laughs> yeah. And Duckman's like, hey, uh, what's up, man? We're supposed to do this uh, whole thing. He's like, I can't do that, dude. I thought you were a good guy, but, you know, your son, he's a nice kid. You're a bad dad, though. And for that reason, I'm out. Plus, Bernice is weird. <laughs> yeah. She put a pill in my drink last night. I woke up, got a little freaked out. I'm out. So... Coolio's out, Steve. Gangster Paradise, great song, but he will not be winning any awards at the school's uh, father-son competition or whatever it is. So now it's back to, I guess, Ajax. So Duckman has to go with his tail between his legs, go back, and Ajax now, he's adopted his own child, Steve. Some sort of dog that's his son. Oh, yeah. And he doesn't disappoint his son, Steve, because he's there. He's a good dad. <laughs> Gotta be there. But he's trying to come around the corner, and he's saying, like, you know what? I failed you as a dad. He asks him if he still wants to do the father-son games, and eventually he agrees. And so the, the first event is the egg and spoon relay race. Ajax just eats the, eats the egg. Pops the next one is the three-legged, yeah, the three-legged race. Duckman gets dragged by Ajax. And then now the wall climb. Ajax goes through the wall and just faints. And then finally, <laughs> the water balloon toss. And Ajax this time, he just throws the whole box of water balloons at Duckman. The Steins, though, annihilating it. They're getting accolades. Duckman's fucking collecting himself after every loss, you know? It's just right in his face. Yeah, the Steins win every event. And they're ecstatic. They, you know, they're celebrating. He's got his kid on his shoulders. It's great. They get the gold or, you know, whatever. But Ajax does win an award, Steve. They don't win, like, the, the full shebang. But what does Ajax win? Most improved player. He's like, improved? We did awful. And the guy's like... <laughs> Yeah, but in the archery competition, you only shot 15 people, and last year you shot, you know, 20 or whatever. So 26. that's an improvement, isn't it, guys? And they're like, right. everyone's here for this fucking crazy kid. <laughs> this poor kid. And now a performance from Cujo. <laughs> Dude, but this, like, music video we get at the end, I love this. It's just a solid Duckman Coolio collab, Steve. And that song is actually on Gangsters Paradise. It's called Ghetto Highlights. I believe it's like the first song, first or second song on the album, man. Um, in a way, I feel like this episode satires the uh, participation award era that we've been currently, that we've been dealing with for the past, like, I don't know, two decades. Yeah, a little bit. It also satirizes uh, the school competition in general, too. Just because how stupid that shit is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but I, I'll tell you this. Coolio, if he goes into an elementary school 
competition like this back in the day, he's going to kill it. They would have oh, won. Yeah. <sighs> saw how quick he got off that teeter-totter. But uh, in 1999, John Stewart debuts as host of Comedy Central's The Daily Show, replacing Craig Kilborn, who moves on to CBS to succeed Tom Snyder on The Late Late Show. That show didn't last that long, but man, Daily Show, this was, this became news. To us that didn't want to watch like Tom Brokaw, this became like the actual news, I think, for a lot of people. That might not be a great thing, but what a great show. This was the beginning of an era, man, because, you know, it, John Stewart hosting The Daily Show gave it its identity. You know, I, obviously, like we said, he wasn't the original host. Um, I, I think most people would assume he was if you didn't, you know, pay attention at the time or if you weren't even alive then. You know, people would assume it was him unless you check the wikis. But I think most people associate the show with John Stewart. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, ha you have to. He was there the longest, man. I mean, I don't. I think people, we're old enough that we know who Craig Kilborn is. So, you know, I remember that. And I remember the show when he was the host of it. And, you know, I think when you look at this, it's like clearly they took like the weekend update format of like shitting on current events. And they made it like, this is actually like a perfection of that, but they created like this genre of comedy where it's like news related comedy shows that I, this really wasn't a thing like other than like the first 20 minutes of the late shows, you know, the monologues where they're talking about it. It was like all that. And then they would have, they, I don't remember when they started having like Stephen Colbert and the other people in, but you know, it just kept getting more famous because not only did they have Jon Stewart and he's great at this, but then they started involving like the Steve Carells, the Stephen Colbert's and they'd have all like, um, you know, and they'd have these people on that were great and to like add to it and to play these like strange, like caricature parts of like news anchors and stuff it was a great show man. it still is i mean i i catch it every once in a while it's just like you know it's different now and i feel like it was an early staple of comedy central because they yeah. at the time when the daily show started they didn't really have much original content you know south park was one of the first uh, dr cats i believe yeah. and daily show and i think they were paired with south park whenever they would air like South Park would air and then Daily Show um, was it that way or was it, yeah I guess it was after South Park wasn't it yeah South Park led into it but it became its own thing man it blew up and I I don't think it's it's not a small part of just Jon Stewart being so good at this he's a great comedian in general but I mean this was he was meant to do this you know for sure I mean, to the point where he became a host of SNL solely because of this. I think it was that big of a deal. People were tuning in, you know, the during the, the Bush administration, the Clintons and all of that, a lot of the stuff. And they would always add um, their funny takes on it, man. Just great writing. Uh, a brilliant show, man. You know, and I'm not faithful. I'm not even going front like I, I've watched more than I haven't. But, um, you know, it still stands the test of time. I, and I think it's hosted by Marlon now. Speaking of the devil. I think they keep now they're doing like rotating hosts because I think Charlemagne does it a lot too. Um, okay. I've seen him do it a lot, but yeah, it's cool what they're doing. 
But, you know, back in the day, especially when this was first becoming its thing and it, it got like to that prolific where it was almost like carrying Comedy Central for a while or like one of its flagships. Um, yeah. It, it made this different thing because, you know, like news used to just be the serious thing where you, you couldn't like joke about it. It was just tell the news and this and that and the other. But like this sort of created this thing where I, I do think it replaced the actual news for a lot of people, good or bad, like especially related to like politics. I think we needed that, you know, like these people are fun, like it's, these people need to be made fun of. And this was a great way to do that. You know, all the stupid shit politicians do. I think, like, we didn't have a show that brought light to that as much. And I guess, I don't know if this was the first of its kind, but it definitely was, like, the perfection of it. Now, do you have any callbacks, honorable mentions, or takeaways, sir? Callbacks, honorable mentions, or takeaways. Well, I do want to just, you know, we were talking about Jean-Claude and, uh, Street Fighter, Steve, and now that we've discussed it, I just want to, I guess this isn't a callback other than I just want to, I want to see where that movie falls in the lore of video game movies to you. Is it the worst? Is it the best? Where is it in like the Mortal Kombat's, those 90s video game movies? It's not the worst, because I'd say Mario Brothers might be the worst. The original Mario Brothers, yeah. Uh, I would say Street Fighter's mid, because it wasn't terrible. And, and, you know, we can't sleep on Raul Julia's role. So I think in Bison, man. So you have that, as well as just Jean-Claude's presence in the early 90s. In the early 90s movie, it's going to do something. Dude, he's going to do that split kick. He'd always do that spinning split kick and stuff. He had, like, I like Jean-Claude, because he had, like, some signature moves. You know, he'd do a split. He'd do a crazy, like, he'd do, like, the slow kicks and stuff. He had a couple of, he was like a wrestler in that way, you know? He had a couple of moves you wanted to see before the end of the movie. And speaking on Street Fighter, he got, he's, who else is going to do the guile flip kick thing? You know, who I think maybe he got cast because he was the only buddy, person that could do that shit. So, shout out, dude. Just... I love me some Jean-Claude and I just, I'm glad that you picked that movie to discuss because that's when you want to tune into Jean-Claude, that early 90s where they synthesized it, they they synthesized it to perfection, Steve. It was crack at that point. JCVD. <laughs> what about you, man? I got a couple things to run down, man. In 1990, Cosby Show airs Cliff's Nightmare and that was the one where they had like a a Muppet infusion, if you will. They had some of the characters involved and basically Cliff eats a meatball sandwich before he goes to bed. And most of the episode is about his bad dream. He has this weird dream where these Muppets come about and he's actually like sitting up there in the rafters uh, critiquing the uh, other Muppets with with Waldorf and Statler. And the guy that, the one that's voiced by Jim Henson, uh, uh, Cliff replaced that one because Jim Henson couldn't be present for this episode. But uh, his partner, uh, his his longtime partner, was there. Um, 
but I, I just remember, you know, I was a Cosby Show fan and obviously a Muppets fan. But uh, in 1992, uh, Nirvana's Nevermind album goes number one in the U.S. And that, to me, was the beginning of an era. Uh, bye bye to the hair metal and the, and the tight latex and all of that. Uh, the grunge era is, is here upon us in 92. And on that same day, January 11th, Nirvana's actually on SNL with a special host, Rob Morrow. Um, dope performance they did smells like teen spirit of course and i think it was after that song or the other one where they just trashed the set with rock star style you know our, our album's number one it just started today we're on snl i'm kurt i'm that dude but uh in 97 snl has musical guest beck he fucking kills it i got two turntables and a microphone oh where is that I love that shit. And the host that time is <clears throat> Kevin Spacey. But, dude, you know, separate. It's kind of like the Chris Benoit thing. Dude was a great wrestler. Kevin Spacey, outside of the fuck shit, whatever, amazing performer. And this episode is goaded. There wasn't a bad skit, man. It had the mangoes. And I was never, not mango, but the uh, the one where Chris Kattan's the monkey. Oh, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Peepers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's yeah it's got that one and I I it, this one is tolerable. Uh, they do the Star Wars auditions and Kevin Spacey he's like uh, Walter Matthau he's Jack Lemon and you know the other people were doing I think uh, Anna Gasteyer she's Barbara Streisand I think they do a Celebrity Jeopardy uh, just that episode is goaded. Beck and Kevin Spacey uh, 1998 Jamie Foxx shows airing Soulmate to Cellmate and that's got to see an art on it and just looking fine we're <sighs> not worthy we're not worthy and uh, I'll, just one more thing The Simpsons also in 98 they're airing Bart Carney and that has special guest Jim Varney and they're, bas they're basically playing some traveling carnies and like Jim Varney's character has some one-liners that are just fucking good. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all I got, man. Uh, please yeah, like, dude. share, subscribe, and comment. Please tell your sister, who's your favorite new kid? Call me Donnie. Call me Joey. <laughs> please check out our buddy <laughs> Councilman Clark the Shark on YouTube, <laughs> Food Show Fanatics, as well as Crush Gasm. Our sister and brother shows. This is Steve G and Matt G with Happen in the 90s. Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry.